0: Father in heaven, we're so grateful for the liberty to assemble here freely and to talk of things uh, pertaining to your creation. We ask that your Holy Spirit would attend to us and guide us, uh, that you would be with the words that I share, but also with the hearing of those that are here to learn and to understand of you and your will for us in the garden and in the work that you have for us in your kingdom. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Um. Many of you have been in some of my other classes, but for those of you that haven't met me, I'm Bob Gregory. I have about a 50-year background in agriculture, and uh, my wife and I currently own and operate uh, Berea Gardens, an agriculture center in central West Virginia where we have a market farm, Uh, we do training programs, and we also have a a regional seed bank there. And uh, I've grown a lot of different things in the course of my career. Um, but I'm not a real expert on small fruits. So it could very well be that some of you out there that have more experience with, that, with these things than I do may know more than I, but I'm gonna share with you some basics of what I do know. Uh, we have on our farm um, about 180 blueberries and uh, we have about 300 feet of row of raspberries that we have planted. We've recently planted some black raspberries and we have a few blackberries too. And I do, as an agronomist, understand the principles for growing uh, these small fruits. And I wanna, uh, uh, first of all, talk about some of the advantages of growing small fruits in our farms, you know. Uh, many of us that wanna be self-sufficient in, in, in our food supplies and what we grow realize there's, there's, there's great value uh, to having fruit in our diet, and we concentrate often on things like the apples and the peaches and the plums and those things that, uh, that are really delicious. We may even include some strawberries. Uh, but I wanna encourage you today to think real vigorously about adding uh, some of these small fruits uh, to, your, to your farm planning too, if you haven't previously done so, uh, for a variety of different reasons. And one of the reasons that we selected small fruits for growing in our area and in our climate, uh, which is a relatively hot, warm climate, We have late frosts in the spring, we have early frosts in the fall, and we have lots of rain, dew, and humidity in between. And that's a recipe for for some real challenges and difficulty if you're just growing tree fruits. That's better, I wonder why I heard myself so well. Um, That's a real challenge if you're just growing tree fruits. In fact, trying to grow um, many of the stone fruits in our region of the country uh, and it, with, with organic methods is really pretty difficult. It can be done, but it's really quite difficult. And even though we may produce them organically, we're still gonna find ourselves spraying pretty frequently uh, for fungal diseases. And uh, those sprays take a toll uh, both on the quality of the fruit and on the, on the vigor of the tree over time. And it's, it's really quite challenging. Uh, the other risk with growing large tree fruits is you often have a loss to frost damage on both sides of the growing season. In the spring, the frost can take out your blossoms and, and uh, essentially you can lose your crop before it's even set. In the fall, if it's late uh, varieties of apples and, and pears, for example, you can lose them to an early frost in the, in the fall uh, also. Uh, if you if, you know if you plant a late uh, blooming variety so that it will, bloom after the frost in the spring, oftentimes those trees won't, won't be uh, fully, uh, the fruits on those trees won't be fully ripened until after frost arrives in the fall, and that damages your quality too. Uh, one of the ways to, to work with that narrow window of opportunity with a crop that isn't quite as susceptible to problems with the humidity and the moisture is to consider small fruits. Uh, they're usually more reliable in their, in their capacity to uh, set fruit because they bloom later. Uh, typically, you have fewer disease problems during the course of the production of that fruit. Once the fruits start to ripen, they become pretty susceptible to disease, but at least you have a long window of opportunity where those uh, fruits can develop and grow uh, and until they become very susceptible to uh, to d- uh, damage from, from wet weather or from moisture. Um, the, the small fruits also have some health benefits that the large fruits don't have, and that has to do with the antioxidant content of many of the small fruits. The blueberries, the black raspberries, the raspberries themselves, and the blackberries uh, all have wonderful, amounts of, uh, <coughs> of antioxidant compounds in them that, uh, that some of our, our tree fruits uh, are not so rich in. I'm gonna suggest a couple of fruits to you here today too that you may not have considered trying to grow that are extremely high in things like lycopene and other antioxidant compounds. They produce phytochemicals too, nutritious phytochemicals for us, and they provide a, a real opportunity for us to enjoy uh, the fruits of our labor, that is a pun, uh, in, in the winter months because they're relatively easy to either uh, dehydrate or can or dry. And uh, the, uh, the, you know, the use of, of small fruits can be, uh, can be very important to us. Some of the small fruits that I'm talking about here today include the blueberries, uh, raspberries, blackberries. I'm gonna include grapes and muscadines as, as small fruits here too. We, we, grow, uh, uh, we grow grapes where we are, we don't have muscadines. Uh, we have elderberries, uh, lignin berries. Um, how many of you have heard of autumn olive? Um, some folks think of that as a real invasive species and a weed problem, and indeed it is in parts of the southeast, but the autumn olive actually produces a fruit uh, that is becoming popular. And part of the reason that it's becoming popular is it has 50 times the amount of lycopene as a tomato does on a pound-for-pound basis. Um, I've never uh, taken the time to eat autumn olives, although we do have a few of them on our property, but I'm gonna experiment with that a little bit this year because there are actually markets developing now for autumn olive and uh, it certainly is disease resistant and certainly is well adapted to southeastern uh, United States because it's actually become an invasive species in many areas. Uh, Aronia berries are also uh, uh, things we should be consider uh, uh, consider growing in our, in our gardens and uh, currants and goji berries are also examples of some more exotic berries that we can make use of in, in, in our growing. Um, but primarily I want to focus today on, on the ones that are more common, the blueberries, the raspberries, the blackberries, uh, perhaps some grapes, and some of the common characteristics that all of these berries require in terms of uh, how we establish them and how we uh, get them to grow vigorously. Um, in our case, on our farm, uh, for those of you that uh, were in my soil class yesterday, I, I, I made a statement that uh, uh, that surprises some people, and that is that I grow my, my my blueberries are growing in a neutral pH. The soil where my blueberries grow is actually has a pH of about 6.8, and um, that kind of defies uh, what conventional wisdom is about blueberries, because everyone seems to, to understand that you need to grow blueberries in a very acid soil. And what I explained yesterday, and the reason that I can grow them at a high pH is because the reason that blueberries typically are associated with an acid soil is because they require lots of iron. Uh, they, the, their demand for iron is very, very high relative to other plant species. And as the soil becomes uh, more acidic, the iron availability increases very dramatically. It's actually an exponential increase in the availability of iron as the pH is lowered. But if you have adequate iron in your soil, blueberries will do, do just fine at a neutral pH. And in fact, I prefer to grow them that way because then my other elements, my other nutrient elements, the phosphates, the uh, the calcium, and and some of the other elements are actually more available to the plant, and it provides for for a better quality fruit. So uh, our our fruits are very tasty, they're very sweet, they have good texture and good durability, and uh, they hold up for a long time too. They don't soften quite as quickly uh, uh, after harvest as as, uh, berries that are grown in a very acid pH. So, you know, that's, that's one myth I want to dispel. And when it does come to growing all of my berry plants, I prepare the soil for, for where I'm planting my berries essentially the same way that I do for my garden area. I balance the, the, the base saturation of the soil, make sure I have adequate calcium. Calcium is very important to good berry, good quality berry production as are the elements sulfur and potassium. You wanna make sure that you have adequate levels of sulfur and potassium in your soil too in these areas. And uh, in, in our plantings, I've just addressed the soil the same way I've addressed the rest of the garden. I maintain the same levels of uh, the, the, the micronutrients, the same levels of the secondary nutrients in that area. And uh, we, we've done very well. And, and what the young man here just stated is that berries do well in an alkaline environment. In fact, that's true of many of the crops that we, uh, we grow for, for, for our fruits, including our fruit trees. Part of the reason for that is the increased availability of the calcium uh, to, uh, to the trees and, and the bushes as well. Uh, Small fruits also need excellent drainage, not just good drainage, excellent drainage. And even though we often associate in the woods uh, the, the berry patches and the berry vines that are out there with wet spots, what you'll notice is that the water is moving in those areas, it's not standing water. And that indicates that you have a very porous soil where air and water can both move through very freely. Uh, when it comes to raspberries particularly, they're very susceptible to a root-borne disease called Phytophthora, root rot. And uh, this can happen uh, if those berries uh, basically stand in, in, with wet feet for, uh, for a period as, as, as short as three days. Uh, this, this disease can begin to develop and really damage the crops. In fact, we had a very wet spring on our farm this year we have a very porous soil with gravel underlaying about four feet of, of, of the topsoil that we have, and we lost about a 20-foot section of row this year because it stayed saturated for almost six weeks early this spring. So my, uh, uh, you know, my, my lesson is that that's not a good spot to replant my raspberries, so they're gonna be moving moving to a, to a higher portion of, of our farm. Uh, The berries were planted in a part of the field where two creeks kind of converged together and although we were about 50 feet away from the creeks, the water table just rose up above the surface of the soil there for a period of time and and literally drowned them out. Did you have a, a question? Uh, she asked if we had spotted wing drosophila in our area, and I, I, I responded that I don't have have uh, experience with that in our area. We haven't seen that as a pest problem. You know, one of the great advantages to, to farming in West Virginia, and I'm, you know, I'm, I'm trying to recruit neighbors here today too, uh, is that we live in an area that is very uh, a wild in nature it's called wild and wonderful west virginia for a good reason and that is that 90% of the of the land in the county that i live in is still in native forests and that provides a wonderful biodiversity and habitat for uh, you know a wide range of various different species but what it also means is there's no monoculture in are part of West Virginia. Uh, In fact, West Virginia as a a whole has very little monoculture. And as a consequence of that, our pest problems are really dramatically reduced from what you have in areas that are more aggressively uh, devoted to agriculture. Uh, We have much fewer uh, uh, pressure from things like Japanese beetles and the Colorado potato beetle uh, we do have some worm issues with uh, cabbage loopers and uh, and tomato hornworm is present there, but in general, we have far less pest pressure than most other parts of the country simply because of the nature of the environment that we're in. In order to, to um, provide good drainage for a, a, a berry planting, it's often, not always, but it's often a, an advantage to plant your berries on a slight berm. Uh, and by berm, I mean just a, smi- a, a, a minor rise in the soil that rises above the soil that surrounds it that might be about three feet wide and, and simply uh, you know, 12 to 18 inches tall. This keeps the crown of the plants up out of that area that's saturated. And had I done this at the lower end of the row uh, where we lost our raspberries, I probably would not have, have, have lost our raspberries. Because we have a very coarse soil, Uh, with lots of good drainage underneath. I just planted mine at at ground level, so to speak. They were planted at the level of the rest of of the field. Uh, But had I had a rise in that portion of of the field and and kept the crown of the plant dry, I think I would have uh, had much better results with keeping them alive this year. Um, My spacing for for my plants, and I wanna talk a little bit about the plants especially, because for those of you that are interested in starting a berry, Uh, 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 planting, uh, it can be done really inexpensively. In fact, even blueberries can be established very inexpensively if you're thoughtful about how you go about doing it. Um, You know, if you're pricing blueberries, for example, at the local nursery, you're going to pay anywhere from eight to sixteen dollars for a one gallon size plant. For a blueberry plant, if you buy a rooted liner, uh, which is basically a one-inch by one-inch plug, a rooted cutting of a blueberry. You can buy those for as little as a dollar thirty-five cents, and put them in a gallon can yourself. Grow them for a period of two or three months, and then set them in the field. And in a year's time, you won't know the difference between that 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 two-dollar plant and the eight-dollar plant that you got at the nursery. And that's what I'm going to be suggesting to you as far as resource. Um, it's very uh, uh, inexpensive to establish these. We, we uh, separated our rows uh, by 10 feet between, between plantings, uh, between our, our blueberry row and our raspberry rows, about uh, uh, 10, 10 feet, and down the row, I planted a raspberry every four feet. And the plants that I used were like this. Uh, these are rooted liners, uh, and uh, you'll notice basically it's just a, a simple rooted cutting and I don't know if any of you attended Weston's uh, class yesterday about uh, uh, cutting or pruning, or I'm sorry, grafting and and cuttings. I don't know whether he discussed how to make these or not, but these are very easy for you to make on your own farm. Um, If it's a non-patented variety, you have free license to reproduce that plant asexually. If you buy a patented variety, however, I do want to caution you that there are patent laws that prohibit you from asexually reproducing uh, uh, cuttings from a patented variety. So if you're looking at something like a triple crown raspberry or blackberry or some of the newer released varieties of raspberries and, and black raspberries, uh, if, if those plants are, are still under active patent, which lasts for 20 years, uh, you, you, you do not have the liberty to reproduce those yourselves. Um, uh, on non-patented varieties, however, it's very easy to uh, root cuttings from things like grapes and blackberries and raspberries simply by taking a cutting about six to nine inches long, and putting it in a rooting media and keeping it moist. In about 18 days' time, it'll initiate roots, like you see in the in the in the picture up here. I'm pointing at my screen, and your screen's up there. Uh, but you'll 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 find that uh, these are 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 probably about 18 days old here with with roots that size, and. Uh, If you take these cuttings that are this size and uh, put them in a gallon container with a good compost uh, organic mixture of of soil, they'll fully fill that one gallon container with roots in in a very short period of time. Usually, just uh, you know, a a period of of, of eight to ten weeks. And once that container is fully um, you know, fully full of roots, then that's the time when you can transplant it into your rows in the field and it'll settle in and do just fine. Uh, this, is, uh, this is a picture that I pulled offline. These are, these are not photographs that I took, so I'm not sure whether that's a separate cutting or whether it's just a shoot that's, that's developing. Oftentimes when we make cuttings, um, the, uh, the vegetative part of the cutting still continues to grow and uh, that very possibly is a shoot that developed after that cutting was was, was made into a cutting, and while the rooting took place because that's a, a very uh, you know a very tender shoot there that's probably only a few weeks old itself, so it probably grew at that time too. <clears throat> um, th- there are a, a number of different methods uh, for, for for making uh, cuttings of of uh, the berries and the grapes. Uh, that you can uh, uh, find information about online. I'm not going to go deeply into that, but I will say that it's a relatively easy thing to do and relatively quick, so if you're thinking of putting in hundred plants, for example, uh, you have a couple of options. If it's a non-patented variety, you can buy a single plant at the nursery and grow it vigorously and make your own cuttings off of that plant that you bought at the nursery. If it's a patented variety, you can buy these rooted liners from a nursery and uh, usually for a a very low price and and pay the the royalty on the patent fee for them for a dollar and a half to two dollars and still uh, be able to plant a 100 foot of row uh, or 200 feet of row of berries very inexpensively. Uh, It's important to nourish berries well. Uh, Many people, you know, sea berries growing in the wild and when they plant their own berries, they kind of uh, have, have a little bit of a lackadaisical attitude about taking care of them because they are so similar to many of the wild varieties that we see. But it is important to maintain good moisture, uh, to think about irrigation. I use drip irrigation on, on my berries. I have a drip tape on both sides of, of the, the plants that go down through the field. I, I don't use it very often, but when I do need to use it, I use it. And uh, by that, I mean that we get frequent rainfall in West Virginia during the, uh, during the growing season for the berries, but if we go through a period of a, you know, 10, to 10 days to, to two weeks without any rainfall, then I'll turn the drip system on for a period of time to make sure that those roots don't dry out. Um, the, the berry vines are very susceptible to dehydrated roots. And if they do dry out, the roots die very, very easily. Uh, they're, they're, they're not hardy like a tree is and uh, you know both both berries and trees um, have a very active root system in that roots are growing and dying all the time but with berries that is very much more pronounced than it is with tree crops so it's very important never to let them suffer severe drought stress. That can stunt the plants uh, to the point where uh, the effects of it may not even be seen for, for a year or two in terms of production afterwards. So. You know, have an, an irrigation plan in mind for for your berries. Also, um, berries are very highly marketable, and uh, one of the the issues about growing berries is determining if if you're not just growing them for yourself, uh, how you're going to go about marketing them. And with the blackberries and the raspberries, we have basically two different types of plants. Uh, one is called a floricane fruiting plant and the other is a primocane fruit, fruiting plant, and most of the ever-bearing uh, uh, varieties that are out there, blackberries and raspberries, are primocane plants, and by that what it means is that uh, you, in, in the early spring you have a crop that is born on the upper third or so of, uh, of, of the branch that is coming up, and uh, once that is picked and harvested, that part of the branch, branch dies back, and then in the fall, you'll get a secondary flush of fruit on the lower part of the cane. Uh, the cane varieties are distinguished by uh, being uh, plants that produce on two-year-old wood, meaning that the first year, the cane grows, and usually grows very vigorously, but does not produce any fruit until the second year, and then fruit is produced on that cane the second year, and then that cane dies back. So, you know, as, as, as you understand how this, uh, this works, you're gonna get a large flush of fruit at one time from a flora cane planting, whereas with a primocane planting, you'll get a smaller amount of fruit over a longer period of time. And that's often what we, what we want as home gardeners and, and homeowners is a, a few berries on a regular basis, but bear in mind that these are very, very perishable fruits. And if you have ever bearing varieties of berries in your planting, you better allocate some time every day for going out and, and picking these fruits because there's really only about a 48 hour window of time between when that berry is not ripe and when it's way overripe. So, uh, you know, that's one consideration to make. For our purposes, we decided to grow the floricane varieties where we would get a large flush of fruit at one time because that fit into our scheme, our our farming scheme much better because we know that for 10 days or 14 days during berry season, we're gonna be out there every evening picking berries, but we're not gonna be out there every evening all summer long picking berries. And uh, as I said, we, we, we uh, preserve those uh, either by dehydrating or, or canning some of them and uh, we freeze the majority of them that we don't sell. Berries are very, very highly marketable. Uh, I think most of you, uh, uh, you know, recognize that the de- de- demand for berries is very high. In fact, the demand for berries here today, this morning, I noticed with our breakfast was very, very high. One of the first pans to empty was the blueberry pan, and uh, that's uh, that's an indication that this can be a very good profitable crop for you, uh, if you're looking at market market gardening uh, avenues. Also, um, we had no problems at all, we had a very good crop of blueberries this year on, on our, our plants and uh, we had no problem at all marketing them even though uh, we had a lot of them coming on at one time and uh, they have a relatively short shelf life and we didn't have uh, a, a large enough area to, to keep any of them refrigerated to hold them for any period of time so we had to, had to get them moved out right away and they, they, they sold very, very easily uh, and for good prices too. Uh, one of the things that we're looking at in the future as I get a little bit older and a little less agile on my feed is to, to plant some more berries on our farm and establish a pick opportunity for people to come in and actually do the harvesting for us uh, while I care for the berries during the course of the year. And uh, that does two things for us. It gives us the opportunity to, to work a little less hard. Uh, we're, we're growing lots and lots of vegetables right now that require a lot of bending over and a lot of, picking of green beans and so on and so forth. Uh, And we're taking that produce to markets to sell it, but by having a U-Pick operation, it gives people an opportunity to come to us too, uh, which uh, gives us an opportunity to witness uh, to folks in a little different fashion than we have uh, through the farmer's market. Uh, And when we're on our own turf, so to speak, and when we're at home and people actually come into our environment, it it, it 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 seems that some of the barriers that break down in a or, or some of the barriers that are in place in a public environment break down a little bit, and uh, I'm 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 praying for for good opportunities for ministry to those folks too. Um, one indi- one consideration that I I didn't mention and my slide got out of order here uh, is that. In, in planting berries too, if you're in an area uh, such as we are in West Virginia where there are, where there are slopes to be had, you know, typically uh, when, we're, when we're gardening, we wanna look for a south-facing slope or soil that warms up very quickly. And in the case of berries and also fruit trees, if we want to establish those in, in this part of the country where we have frost issues in the spring, it's actually better to plant them on a north-facing slope And the reason for that is by the time the sun is high enough in latitude uh, for that soil to warm up to trigger the bloom response in either a fruit tree or the berries, uh, the weather is far more consistent than it is earlier in the year. If you have a south-facing slope, oftentimes as early as March, we'll get days where we may have a, a string of two or three days that are in the high 70s or or, or low 80s and then the temperature will plummet again and we'll be back down into, uh, you know, into the teens or into the low 20s. And the, the, the temperature is really, really what triggers the bloom uh, time in both berries and in fruit trees. And if we maintain those trees on the north side of the slope, they do stay colder longer and they will bloom later, but by the time they do bloom, the weather is usually a little more consistent. So the, uh, the, the the tree fruits that we have and the berries that we have are, are planted according to, to this model. Even though they're on flat ground, they're on the north side of a slope so that that ground, once it does warm up, it stays warm. We don't have as much fluctuation in the temperature. High organic matter is also necessary for growing good quality uh, small fruits. Uh, a part of this is because These plants, when they set their fruit and grow their fruit, you you know, you're all aware of how vigorously they grow. Uh, The root systems are very active and working very hard in these plants, and it's as important to have air in the root zone as it is water. And one of the ways that we encourage air in the root zone is by having a loose friable soil that has lots of organic matter in it and uh, this is particularly important in berries, and also the organic matter and mulching with organic matter can also preserve and and smooth out the peaks and, and, and valleys of the amount of moisture that's in the soil, and this is very important, especially with blueberries. Blueberries have a very fine hair-like root system that is very close to the soil surface. And on very hot days in the summer, if that soil is left open and exposed, uh, those, those roots can literally cook in the ground or get sunburnt in the ground. And uh, the plants can dry out very quickly uh, also because they like a nice steady supply of moisture. And that is one of the advantages of mulching with organic material. So I do use ground wood chips. I disparaged uh, some, some wood chip methods yesterday in, in one of the classes that I taught, but this is one appropriate use of, of wood chips or heavy organic matter is to mulch your berries heavily, and this also helps to reduce uh, weed pressure also in, in berries. Uh, the other issue too to consider when you establish your plantings is how you, how, how you orient your rows, which direction to, to orient the rows of the plants. And I uh, suggest that you orient your rows whichever way you have the uh, most air movement on your farm. Uh, where we live, we're kind of in the, in the lower part of a holler where we have afternoon breezes almost every day in the summer and the air moves from the west to the east. So my rows are lined up east and west. And the advantage of having that air moving through the row, again, keeps the plants themselves, the foliage of the plants and the fruit once it's set, drier. And that reduces problems with fungal diseases and other issues. Um, One of the the biggest problems that that people face with, with growing berries, or one of their biggest concerns, is bird damage. And there indeed is a potential for serious bird damage because once they discover your berries, uh, that's a food that they like every bit as much as we do. And uh, it can be an issue for some. Uh, We have plans to erect uh, essentially some bird netting over the rows of our crops. We haven't done so yet because we haven't needed to yet. And I honestly believe that part of the reason that we haven't needed to yet is because we pray for our blueberries and we ask for protection specifically from the birds. And we have not yet, uh, in, in, in four years of production now on our berry vines, we've not yet had significant losses to birds. I will say that we have seen birds in there, and we've definitely fed a few of them, but they have left plenty of, of, of berries for us, and we have not sustained significant losses to the birds. But um, I, I attribute that to, to our prayers. Uh, but I think it's also prudent uh, once the birds find out that those berries are as good as, as, as they are and uh, once they tell all their friends and neighbors if we should in the future at some point have pressure from uh, birds consuming the berries, we'll erect a small structure somewhat similar to a high tunnel but probably made out of gray PVC plastic and uh, with, with spacing much farther apart where we can just pull a bird netting over the entire row of berries and try to keep the birds out that way. Another method that's important uh, in terms of both uh, uh, preservation of your berries from uh, fungal diseases and also keeping the birds at bay is that it's often best to pick the berries uh, slightly, I won't say unripe, but at the very, very first stages of ripeness. The riper the berry gets, the more attractive it is to fungal diseases like Botrytis sinera, and the more attractive it is to wildlife and to the birds too. So instead of waiting until your blackberries are are, are are ready to pop in your mouth, if you pick them 24 hours before that, you'll find that you'll have much better success in, uh, in handling uh, the berries after they're harvested without having losses and also uh, uh, preventing fungal infection infestations of the berry plants and also having the opportunity to, uh, uh, you know, to, to keep the birds at bay a, a little bit longer. <clears throat> uh, there are a couple of sources I wanna share with you and then I'm gonna take some questions. Uh, these are two companies where you can buy both blueberry or, or many different types of berries, but this is where we got uh, our, our plants and that's Hartman's Plant Company Uh, They're located in Minnesota, uh, I'm sorry, in Michigan, and uh, this is where we purchased the bulk of our blackberries, raspberries, and blueberries, and at the time we bought our plants, they cost $1.35 a piece if you buy them at the wholesale price, uh, which means if you buy wholesale, they will sell wholesale to anyone, but you have to buy at least 100 plants. And that, for most of us, is really not that many plants. So we bought a mixture of about 500, or I'm sorry, 200 plants of blackberries, raspberries, and a little over 100 plants of blueberries for our initial planting. Uh, This year I purchased an an additional 200 plants of black raspberries, and uh, the cost is really quite minimal. Uh, Two of the varieties that we purchased that are black raspberries are patented varieties, so I can't reproduce those. Uh, but many of the blueberry varieties that we have are off patent and I am free to produce those. Uh, so by making your own cuttings you can do that too. Blueberries are a lot tougher to, uh, to root than the blackberries and the, and the raspberries are uh, it takes about six to eight weeks to get a blueberry cutting to root, and, and, and pro- during that process you have to keep the cutting moist, but not so moist that you, uh, in, you know, infect it with, with uh, fungal diseases. So it's a little bit challenging. For novices, I suggest that you buy the plants rather than trying to root your own blueberry cuttings. Uh, but for things like grapes and, and raspberries and blackberries, they're very simple and easy to do, and uh, I, would, I would encourage you to do that. The new varieties are being developed all the time, and uh, bear in mind that some of the tried and true varieties are probably the ones that you should stick with if you're new to doing this. Uh, you know, uh, we, we talk a lot about the vagaries of the fashion industry. And when it comes to nursery stock, when it comes to ornamental plants, even when it comes to our vegetables, there's an element of fashion involved in much of what is being sold to us today. Uh, you'll notice when you get your seed catalogs here, uh, in, in the next few weeks as they start arriving, you're gonna see splattered all over, over the cover, uh, the newest varieties, the newest colors, the newest this, the newest that. Th- those are fashion incentives, folks. It doesn't mean that they've made any great improvement on the, on the plant itself. It's just um, a, a means of attracting your attention. And uh, for, for many folks in the world, it's important for them to have the newest and the latest and the best. And it's their way of marketing the new iPhone 7. Uh, you know, if, if the iPhone 5 is working five for you, you know if it ain't broke, don't fix it. So uh, you know, bear, bear that in mind. <clears throat> and I say that specifically because you know, don't be deceived by the pictures in the catalog either, where they have the new patented variety of berry. Uh, with all of the exhortations about its virtues, and you know that there's another berry there that might not be patented, but you know what the characteristics of it are. It's a tried and true variety. You may know some friends at the farmers' market that are growing the variety. You may have uh, you know some experience yourself with seeing the plants growing and knowing that they're vigorous and they're viable plants and and you know do some research before you make your selections. Um, the second company here, Norse, Farms is uh, the second largest producer of berry vines in the country. Uh, personally, I have never purchased product from them, but I just put them up here uh, for, for your reference too to give you an idea on pricing. As I was looking through their website, Norse Farms was quite a bit more expensive. Uh, than Hartman's plants were, and I found the qualities from, from f- the quality from Hartman's plants to be very very uh, uh, very good, and uh, I have no reason to change my supplier. So, uh, I just want to put uh, another opportunity or another option up there for you to select from. Now, strawberries do classify as a small fruit, too. I'm not addressing them today uh, because I want to uh, focus on the things that I actually you know, work on and believe are going to work best for us. Uh, we do have strawberries planted, too, but just for our family. I don't try to grow them for commercial purposes, and part of the reason for that is growing organic strawberries in a moist environment is a pretty risky operation. And the reason for that is that they are very susceptible to botrytis and other fungal diseases as they ripen. And uh, the, uh, uh, the heavy dews that we have during the growing season and the frequent rain that we have during the growing season can, uh, can really present a hazard to, to growing those crops without the use of synthetic fungicides. Uh, so that's not a crop that we focus on for marketing purposes, but we, uh, we do grow them for our own use. You have a question? She asked uh, about black raspberries. Did they taste like the red raspberries or or are they something different? No, they are are slightly different than the red raspberries. They have a unique flavor all their own. Uh, uh, Our purpose in planting them was twofold. One, uh, I absolutely love them. Uh, And number two is I'm not alone in that because uh, black raspberries are the most saleable uh, uh, variety of berry on the market today. One of the disadvantages of growing raspberries though, and I'll point this out, is that they are very, very delicate. And if you handle them, you better get them to market very quick if you're you're gonna be uh, growing them on a commercial basis. And there are many, uh, you know, uh, types of, of, of blackberries that have been developed uh, for more commercial methods of harvesting. There are some harvesting tools that you can use on blackberries, but n- nothing's really been developed yet for a harvesting tool on, ra- on uh, raspberries because they're so soft and they're so fragile. Uh, this is again why a UPIC operation can be an advantage in, in working with those softer and, and, and uh, more delicate uh, fruits. Sir? Yes, I think it would. His question was: he has a, a lot of trouble with with what's called mummy berries, which is basically the berries that dry on the plant, and don't 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 fall off, don't come off freely. And it's very important, by the way, to clean off all those mummies before the next growing season because they harbor opportunities for insect vectors and 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 also disease. Um, he was asking if it might be prudent to put chips underneath. Uh, the plants uh, or mulch them to, to help reduce that problem? And my answer to that would be unequivocally yes, uh, because part of what causes that is the, the massive fluctuation in moisture in the soil. And by, by, by putting a good three or four inch layer of mulch on the ground, you'll, you'll reduce that to some degree and reduce that problem, yes. If, if the, the berry itself is the fruit, and actually they're, they're, you know, they're, they're a composite fruit. And when something cross-pollinates, it does not affect the fruit of the parent, uh, the parent plant. It affects the seeds that are inside of that, and in some instances, you might get a slightly different flavor because when we eat berries, we're eating the seeds too. For the most part, we're eating the fleshy part, that's where the sugars are, but we consume the seeds too when we eat those. And you can get a very slight flavor variation, but as far as affecting the characteristics and the character of the fruit, no, that won't happen. Not until those seeds are planted and the subsequent generation is grown. So I put this presentation together and I realized that I didn't include a list of the varieties that we have, and um, I'm, I'm, I'm really remiss in doing that. I do know a few of them, and I'll, I'll just mention a couple. We we grow Blue Jay, and, and these have all done very well for us, both in terms of production and marketing. So uh, you know, I'm not going to rate them as 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 one being better or another, better than another. But Blue Jay and Elliot have done very well for us. Um, as I was speaking, I thought of three other names, and now they just went out of my mind. Um, Jersey is a good one. Uh, for us now, bear in mind, we're in West Virginia, and as you come farther south, you can grow uh, some of the rabbit eye varieties that we're not very good at growing where we are. We have a lot more winter chill hours than you do here, uh, so some of what we are growing are not gonna do as well. Um, I'll, I'll think of a couple more, perhaps, and give you a list. Uh, we sell ours, um, bear in mind, we have a very unique farmer's market. Uh, we're in a very, very rural in an impoverished Area of West Virginia. So we don't get premium prices for anything that we grow, even though it's organic. You know, that's part of the reason that we settled there was we wanted to minister to the community uh, with healthy, fresh food. And you know, it's one of the areas in the country where the obesity rate is the highest. Uh, The amount of pharmaceuticals that are used in our county is just astronomical compared to the population. And we wanted to help people by introducing them to the health message and healthy food. It certainly wasn't a, a, a sensible business decision that brought us there. Uh, so we don't get a premium price. But for the blueberries, we were getting $4.50 a pint. And uh, I know of markets where you can get upwards of 8 eight to $10 a pint for fresh organic blueberries. A leaf mold can work, although one of the disadvantages of using leaf mold is it can hold too much moisture and not allow air to penetrate, so it's best to grind the leaves up into smaller pieces. Uh, actually, for uh, for mulching blueberries and mulching myberries, I like just, you know, we, we have the, the tree services in our area that chip up the the trees from cleaning along the power lines and so forth, those are very coarse large pieces of material that break down very slowly and that is very suitable as a mulch for blueberries and for for raspberries. Now bear in mind if you're going to use a heavy wood mulch like that you need to compensate with your fertilizer rates for your plants because uh, the plants do require a significant amount of nitrogen, and those heavy wood chips will tie up that nitrogen. So you need to feed the soil as well as the microbes in the soil in order to have the surplus to feed your plants, uh, but, uh, but yes, heavy wood chips is, is my preference there. Pine bark would be very good for mulch. In fact, pine bark is actually better than the wood chips because it, it, it consists of lignans rather than cellulose, and it'll break down over a much longer period of time and is an excellent material to use for mulch. I would use pine bark if we had it available. Pine needles perhaps on, on, on the blueberries would, would, would be all right, but no, I don't think I would use those on other, other berries. They have too much tannic acid in them and uh, could, could probably cause you some, some longer term problems uh, with the soil microbiology in particular. Uh, because that concentrated tannic acid right in the root zone is going to have an influence on the microbes that are there. Uh, the, uh, 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 even, even using it on blueberries, it wouldn't be my preference. If I didn't have anything else to use, I would use that. Otherwise, I would use either straw or, you know, first cutting hay that doesn't have a lot of viable weed seeds in it, uh, uh, you know, um, leaf uh, mold and leaf mulch. And, uh, and and uh, you know pine bark uh, heavier heavier material than the pine needles. Again, I'm not a berry expert. I haven't done a lot of research into berries. And and you know some of our our, our land grant universities, especially out in Oregon, Oregon State is one that has done an awful lot of work with berries because they have become so popular out on the West Coast now. Uh, you know the whole Salinas Valley and the and the Pajaro Valley is being being covered with uh, with little uh, cold frames, basically, or small high tunnels—I guess I should say—that are full of berries, uh, and the commercial berry market has just boomed in the last few years. So there is a lot of research that is being done in this industry, and I'm just not up to date on it. All right, three to four. Time. Okay, we have someone offering uh, that they've got nursery stock for blueberries here at a very reasonable price. If uh, if uh, Verna, where do you have a business name, Verna? Who should they contact? That'd be great on the contact board, excellent idea. But she was saying that she has uh, lots of blueberry plants, rabbit-eye blueberries for the, for the south here, uh, available and for sale that are at a reasonable price, she says. It's always best to make sure that you don't have free ammonia in, in, in the manures, and, and uh, you know I wouldn't, I, I wouldn't use it until that, that odor of, of fresh uh, ammonia is gone. Uh, blueberries actually like ammonic forms of nitrogen more than they do nitrate forms of nitrogen, which makes them a little bit different than, than most crops. Uh, so uh, now I'll tell you from a food safety perspective, if you're marketing these, uh, that might not be the best way to go, especially with your raspberries where you have canes that are down. Anything that might come in contact with that manure, uh, folks, folks are going to be very skeptical and, and concerned about that. So, uh, you know, with the blueberries that grow more upright, it wouldn't be so much of an issue. But I'd be a little, you know, uh, just understand the risk with, with doing that. Yes, ma'am. Uh, do you, uh, have you done anything with fig trees or nut trees or pumpkins? I have. Uh, in fact, fig trees are are one of my passions. I originally being from the West Coast, I absolutely love figs, and uh, we. Uh, got a couple of numbered varieties, of, uh, uh, by numbered variety I mean the research varieties from Michigan State University when we first moved to West Virginia. And I have been uh, trying to find the best way to culture those uh, that will provide us with some pro- production from, from from year to year. And what I've concluded is that the variety the varieties that we have, um, it was suggested that the canes would not die back until it got, down to zero. They were supposed to tolerate a temperature of zero degrees. And I found them to be entirely accurate in that statement. Uh, We've we've had a couple of winters where the lowest temperature has been five degrees and the canes have survived, uh, but every other year the temperature has gotten down to zero or below and they have died back. It's It's not a named variety, it's a numbered variety. It's a research variety, but it's similar to the Chicago hardy. Um, What I've decided to do with that tree is to essentially uh, turn it into a berry vine instead of trying to grow it as a fig tree. Now, where I'm from out in California, we had a fig tree in the backyard that had a six foot trunk and the tree was, you know, uh, nearly 100 feet tall and it set figs twice a year in the spring and in the fall. That's obviously not gonna happen in this part of the country. But um, what I intend to do is to make cuttings of the shoots this year and plant a hedgerow of of these cuttings and then put a small low tunnel over those cuttings during the winter months, mulch them heavily, and try to preserve the lower foot or so of growth on those. Now the, the root system didn't die back even when it got down to minus 23 degrees. So I'm confident that these can tolerate the cold temperatures, but what I need is a more efficient way of culturing them. And this particular variety sets a fig at every node Every leaf node has a fig. And um, by putting them in a hedgerow and planning to prune them back every year, uh, I'll be able to manage the you know the growth habit of, of the plant. Uh, but I'll also be able to put a covering over that row cover that will allow me to warm the soil up quicker in the spring too. Because the other challenge that we have with this variety is they'll Although it tolerates the cold temperatures very well, if we have a cold spring, it doesn't set the fruit until midsummer, and often does not ripen until early October. So I need to push that window of time about three weeks forward so that we can harvest the figs in September. And uh, that's how I intend to do that. But yeah, figs are excellent. And you know, we're, we're in, in some cold country, those of you that are not in cold country should definitely think about growing figs. And figs are another uh, plant that grows very easily from cuttings. And uh, provided that you're, you're, you're using a variety that is not a patented variety, you can certainly propagate those yourself and grow them. We have native nut trees on our property. I have not planted any nut trees. Now my background in agriculture started in the almond industry. Uh, I I was raised in the almond capital of the world uh, at the time in 19, uh, you know, when we moved there in 1962. It was considered the almond capital of the world, and um, you know, my Uh, My early experience in agriculture was all with almonds, and I vowed when we started looking for property before we settled in West Virginia that we were going to find a place where I could grow two things that I'm really passionate about, and that's almonds and olives. And uh, the Lord had a different plan for me. And although I still wish I could grow almonds and olives, uh, I'm I'm very content with where he's put me and found that there are great blessings in being where he wants us to be rather than where we want to be. Um, uh, I'm not sure what question you're asking, we're gonna talk about large fruits and and the tree fruit, trees kind of falls more in with that tomorrow, Uh, but that was a very general question so I'm not really sure what what you're looking for, but the figs are kind of pertinent here because they're gonna be cultured more like a small fruit. Uh, Some of the figs are very, very cold sensitive and uh, some of them will even die back at temperatures in the mid-20s Uh, So if you've got the wrong variety for your environment, that could be the problem. The canes are gonna die back every winter. I'll be pruning them back below a point where I can build mulch up around them and also cover them with with a, 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 a row tunnel Cover and and keep them alive so that instead of all of my shoots coming up from the root system, which they are now, so my fig tree right now is about 20 feet in diameter and I've got little shoots coming up everywhere, this way I can kind of manage them and keep them in a row. And by having the, the, the low tunnel over them, I can warm the soil more quickly in the spring so that they start setting fruit earlier in the season and I can harvest three or four weeks earlier. That's the objective. There is no name, it's a numbered variety. It's a research variety from Michigan State. Uh, She was asking if there's a good market for figs and if you have to dry them before you sell them and the answer to both is, well, the answer to one is yes and the other one is no. Uh, Yeah, there's an excellent market for figs. Um, Figs are a wonderful health food and and, uh, don't have time now to go into the health properties of figs. But yes, if you can grow figs, you should be growing figs. Uh, There is a wonderful market for them and you can sell them both fresh and dried. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse or if you would like to listen to more sermons,